Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, it's good to see you. I love you. I've been praying for you, and I'm excited to see what God has in store for us this morning. And when we were worshiping, I felt like God just placed this memory in my heart, and I wanted to share it with you. Am I getting some feedback, or is it? Yeah. Okay, y'all are working on it. Is there anything I can do to help? Or Okay, keep talking. Okay. And so... Um, Last night, or yeah, last night we were doing just our our family reading, and we were reading the story of Moses, baby Moses, and the kids were folding laundry, which was awesome. That's helpful when they get older. If you have young, young kids, just know it will help when they grow a little. They can help you with the laundry. And so they were folding laundry, and I was reading, um, and it was actually part of our, our school reading, and... Um, this is a, it's a beautiful book that kind of takes the Bible stories and um, t- tells them like a story. And it talked about this couple. One, the father was from the tribe of Levi, and they got pregnant with a baby. And it was baby Moses. But at that time, the Egyptians were um, ordering that all babies from the Israelites were thrown into the river. The firstborn son, or all sons, I think. And so this brave mom... She hid her son. And so, you know, the kids have probably could have told you the story of Moses a little bit, but, like, when it starts to get told, like, a story like this, like, they kind of started folding the clothes a little slower. And they were, like, thrown in the river. I mean, they were just, like, I'm listening, you know? And so this brave mom, she hid him until he was about three months old, and then he was too loud. It's like she couldn't hush him up anymore. So people would walk by and hear the baby crying. And so she like bravely went and like made this little basket and put this substance, tar-like substance on the bottom of it so it would float. And she surrendered her baby into the bushes of this river um, in hopes that, that it would be saved. And so then she leaves because she doesn't want anyone to like see her. But this is a part of the story that really stuck out to me last night. Does anybody remember who stayed and watched baby Moses? His sister Miriam, yes. And she stayed and she kept her eyes on that baby. And so then along comes none other than who? The Pharaoh's daughter. The, the, the king of all at that time, his daughter comes and he finds this little baby. And he looks up at her and he smiles at her and she goes, I, I want this baby. I want to adopt this baby. And so then who was watching the sister? She goes to the Pharaoh's daughter and she says, well, would you like a, um, a, a Israelite woman to nurse this baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, well, yes, I would. And so then Miriam goes and she gets the baby's own mother, the mother that surrendered him into the, into the water And she gets to take him home and nurse him and raise him up. And my kids were like, and when we got to that point in the story, they were like, yes! Like, they were just, like, so filled with faith. They were like, this is a miracle. This is, like, an amazing story that after all that, the hiding and the hope that he wouldn't die and the willingness to surrender, the, the sister willing to be brave and watch and then intervene, you know, and then go and get the mother. And then the baby gets to be raised by the own mother and that's not the end of the story then he gets put back into a place of authority and you know you know the rest of the story is even crazier and so it's like I felt like the Lord wanted us to to stop right now on this day and be like there are moments 
right now in our life that feel like we are having to take like the biggest dreams of our hearts and put them into the river, you know, and surrender things and hope for, hope for it to be different. It's horrible, the situation that put Moses there. The fact that they were destroying precious babies in a river, it's unthinkable. And so I feel like there's this environment around like it was then for us right now where we're like, it isn't right, you know? And that there's many of us that feel like we're having to take the dreams of our heart and having to surrender them. But I feel like God wants us to see that there's Miriams all around that are willing to step in to watch you in the place of your surrender, to to intervene and go say, hey, Pharaoh's daughter, because she didn't have to do that. She could have just watched, but she was brave enough to go and and make a move. And, And then... I just believe, I have faith, I have to believe that God is gonna show us and we're gonna end up hearing stories of stories and stories of, hey, I'm, I'm holding that baby now. I'm, I'm, and, and then there maybe it was another hard time where that mama had to then surrender him to go into the palace, but it talks in the Bible, the Bible story that we were reading how she taught him every little thing about the true, the one true God. And she said, remember who you are. Even when you go into that palace and they start to tell you you're Egyptian, you're not. You're a follower of the one true God. Remember these things. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so that when that day comes that you do stand in a place where that truth of who you are, who were you born to be, gets tested, you have something to stand on. And so I just feel like that's a word the Lord wants us to hear. It's definitely not what I was planning to talk about, but I just wanted you to hear it this morning. And I'm believing in faith for Miriam's to rise up in different situations, in every situation, and that the Lord wants to comfort our hearts if we feel like we're in that place right now of like surrendering um, and that God has restoration for us. Um, Okay, and then I just feel like there's this old song that keeps going on inside my heart. I don't know what is going on with these old songs in my heart, but there's a new one and I can't stop singing it. And it's that song, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you. You can sing it with me. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. And then it goes, mercy flows like a river so wide. This is why I'm not a worship singer. And healing comes from your hand. And I just keep singing that. Mercy flows like a river wide and healing comes from your hand. And I just feel like that's just one of the words that the Lord's speaking along with this river word that there is none like him. And he's wanting to come and just bring that revelation to us over and over. And I feel like today too, he's wanting to um, stake the... Um, just like the flag of heaven in the territory of your heart. And so long ago when my children were first born, I started praying for them like realms of Middle Earth because I'm kind of nerdy in that way. And so if you knew there were realms of Middle Earth, there are, you know, so there's like Erebor and Rivendale and Gondor and Rohan. And I like studied them and learned about them. And I thought, man, I feel like each one of my children kind of could be represented by these places. And so I studied them and learned about the different people that live there and the strengths of those places. And so I kind of have each one of them attributed to one of my kids and I pray for them that they would be strong like Gondor and 
they would love the animals like Rohan. And anyway, so I feel like I see people like that. I see you like an entire realm. You're not just a person, but you're like a realm, a place that things grow, that things are stronger in you maybe than in somewhere else because maybe you have mountains and the other places like, you know, more like plains and, you, and there's great beauty about all the different things, but to see someone like that, and I feel like God is wanting to come today and he's like wanting to stake that flag of heaven and the, all the territory of your realm. And if there's any like, oh, that's the forsaken place. That's the place we don't go, like in Lion King, the graveyard, whatever, bone place. And it's like, no, we're not going to the elephant graveyard in the realm of this heart. And I'm like, no, even the elephant graveyard, we want God to come into all places of the realms of our heart, even that place. And we're welcoming him there, okay? And Simba and the rest of them can all go to the elephant graveyard. And so anyway, I, and so the thing that I wanted to share with you this morning in this wholeness series that we've been going through, Isaiah 61, and talking about the beauty of how God exchanges the things in us that we don't want and gives us the things that we need. And he just does that. He gives us beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for mourning. He gives us peace for despair. He does that. He's the God who gives us exchanges, heavenly things for the things of this earth. And that is available to us over and over and over all the time. And Tyler asked me to share just on how we handle in our life when things go wrong or when we look inside of us and we see um, pain or we see sin and we don't like it, um, a, a natural response of most humans is to feel ashamed. We do something wrong, we want to hide, you know? It's just a natural response. And then that if we feel shame, the very next thing that the enemy wants to bring is condemnation, to condemn you. Okay, you did that bad thing, you should feel ashamed and you should pay for what you did, okay? And so we all know and we can say with our, with our mouth and believe in our minds that no, Jesus became the curse so that we could be free, that he paid for that sin. He, it, he took it upon himself so that we could be free. But on the day-to-day, -day, whenever it happens, it's sometimes kind of hard to like believe it, you know? And this past week, some of the closest people in my life experienced like tremendous loss. They lost the, the closest people to them. And I had the honor to get to go to two separate services for my friends. And um, I just wanna say that watching my friends walk through grief of losing some of the closest people to them in their life was such a privilege. And what I saw was people that truly grieved with hope. They grieved with God. And it was this true loss. They weren't like hiding from the pain of these people that they loved that died. They were like feeling the pain of it but they, it was unmixed grief, like it was pure. It was pure because they have cultivated a relationship with God in all of these little moments of their life up until this big moment that everybody fears, nobody wants, and what came out of them was wholeness. What came out of them was purity, and it was real, and it was hard, and it was sad, but it was pure. It wasn't mixed with bitterness 
or anger or these things that you don't want in your heart. It was, it was a pure, holy grief. And one, one of them I was talking to before the, before the funeral services and every word that was coming out of their mouth was gratitude and even like joy. Walking through the, the week before the, the passing and the different events that happened, they kept saying like, I'm so thankful. I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful. And I stopped, I stopped myself. Actually, our connection died. We were on FaceTime and I pulled Tyler in. I was like, this person is un unbelievable. Tyler, I, I can't even tell you, there is so many opportunities for bitterness in this person's life. And there's so many, everything that they're telling me that they're thankful for could, if you're looking at it from a different perspective, be the things that you get hung up on, you get angry about. Why did it have to be like that? What if it had been this way? And, the, and it wasn't there in their heart. And so we got back connected on the phone and I said, do you realize how amazing you are? <laughs> like, do you realize how pure your heart is? Like, do you even see that you're making these choices that are setting you up for freedom that could be setting you up for something way worse. And it was like, they were like, huh, no, I didn't really see it that way. I was just thankful. And I was like, that doesn't just happen on the day of your worst nightmare. It doesn't. It happens because of years of choosing Jesus in those little moments that, that are so hard that you're, that you're like, okay, that offended me. All right, I'm gonna, Lord, who are you in this place? To where on the worst day, there was no questioning God. There was no questioning his true righteousness, his true goodness, and they were able to go, I am your daughter, I'm your son. And then in another conversation, we were talking and one of them said, it's like people talk about heaven all the time. And you know, our heaven is our home. But they were like, it's like I can feel it now. I can feel faith. I can feel it. And it was like kind of hard to explain for this person. And then someone else was standing there that had lost the same, same relative. And they were like, it's because faith is a substance. That's why you can feel it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And this, these are people who lost like the closest person in their life. And I was like in awe. I was just standing there watching them like, how are you thinking this? How are you saying this? It was just, it was, it was a awe. I was awestruck by the health in their hearts, by the purity of their grief and by the, their willingness to walk through the grief. Like it wasn't like they were hiding from it, pushing it away, but they, they had God in it. They were with him and it was like they had side, side by side walked with the lion so many times that when they were in the valley of the shadow of death, it was like that lion was just right here. He was so big and there was no question about his presence there. And so they were gonna be okay. You know, and so I share that because all of us want that. No one in this room is like, oh, I want to fall to, fall to pieces on the worst day. I mean, everyone's like, okay, I want that to be said of me. There's no one in here that doesn't say, I don't, I, I want to be that. I, I do. We all want that. And, and so I wanted to share, like, not like, here's how, you know, but like more just like, the stories of our, my own journey, and, and I think, like, I'm hoping that you can see yourself in some of these stories, at least where you may be today or could be tomorrow or were 10 years ago, and start to just ask yourself, am I communing with God in a way that's building wholeness?
inside of me? What is the source of my life? What is the source of my beliefs? What is the source of what, what causes me to think what I think and say what I say? And um, I, wanna, I was kind of debating about when to share, but I'm gonna go ahead and share this. If you will share the um, tree. Um, okay, yeah, so I had this question, what is, what is your source, okay? And when I was praying about this, this uh, message this morning, I, well, I mean, uh, this morning's message several days ago, I felt like the Lord gave me this picture in my mind of this tree. And the roots represents like, like the source of your life. Like what, who are you listening to? Who do, are you giving access to speak into your life? What is it? And, and I believe that Deuteronomy 30 I just have clinged to this verse, we're gonna read it later, that really does like break down. I have called all of heaven to witness that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses, and I have given you the ability to choose life so that you and your descendants may live. And that ability to choose life, it's not way up here where you can't reach it or way over here under the sea, but the power to choose life is within your very heart. And it's been given to you by Jesus Christ in the crucified life, that, I mean, him crucified and raised to life, and that, that through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the Holy Spirit, to the ability to choose life. And so, but even as saved believers, we can listen to Satan. We can hear him instead and allow the world, the flesh, or the devil to dictate and rule our lives. And that is what I'm trying to talk about with these roots. And so, like, if a painful situation comes up or um, you make a mistake, you, get, you do something wrong at work or school, and, like, this happens to my kids, like, all every day, you know? And so, and then somebody, like, makes fun of them or me or whoever, you know? It's like, hey, oh, I can't believe you did that. That's dumb, you know? Like, let's just say you're back in fourth grade, okay? And so you have the choice to go, okay, that is a worldly thing that just happened to me. Am I gonna like come into agreement with the lie that I'm dumb and allow that to be the source of my heart, like in what I believe, or am I going to go, no, who does God say that I am? And I'm gonna let that be the source of what I believe. But then I still have that painful experience that I have to do something with. And so I'm gonna learn how to give that painful experience to God. Let him give me Isaiah 61 exchange for it and then move on down the road, believe in the truth, you know? And so I wanna keep talking about this picture a little bit, and then I'm gonna share these different t stories of my life, and maybe you can kinda see times that I learned, I was kinda had this pattern, or maybe I was even trained generationally by my folks or whoever to kinda like think like in ways that didn't feed my trunk good things. And I had to learn how to receive the source of God in all these different areas. And so the source can either be Satan and his demons, or it can be God. And what we, like the source of our life, what we listen to, what we, we hear, like the words of God or the words of Satan and the world and our flesh or whatever, that root source then dictates what we believe, okay? So in the you're dumb situation, that's something that like, if we allow that to become a source of truth, then eventually that trunk of the tree will grow in strength of believing I'm dumb. Does that make sense? And then those beliefs, they hold up our thoughts and actions. And that's what everybody sees. 
You know, it's hard to like see a belief, you know? You see an action. And, and it's hard even as you're, you're trying to go, I want my heart to be clean. And like, what do I believe? It's kind of hard to know what you believe, but you can, you can sometimes like pin what you think, okay? I think I'm dumb, okay? Well, that's because I believe that whatever other people think I'm dumb or whatever, and that's coming from a source. And so these actions and thoughts are like the branches of our tree. And they can either be really, so it's like I think of that unhealthy tree and those actions and thoughts are like swinging around and just hurting people. Like, whew, you know, like these horrible actions, these, these like very um, destructive thoughts are coming from a belief system that is like coming from the source, either Satan or God. Does that make sense? And then these trees bear fruit. And so the fruit of our life will either be blessed or it will be not blessed and it will either be good for people and when they come into our lives and interact with us and eat the fruit of our life even for a brief moment or for a long season like our children they're gonna have blessed fruit or the fruit of our lives will hurt and make others sick does that make sense and so we want to have the good source the strong beliefs the healthy thoughts and actions and the healthy fruit Okay, that's what we're hoping for. But it really is a choice, you guys. uh, Someone who believes that Jesus Christ lived on the earth, born of a virgin, died on the cross for our sins, was buried in the grave, raised, conquering sin and death, has the keys to eternal life. You could believe all of those things and your tree could look like the one on the left. It's true. I've experienced it, you know? And so... We want to say, okay, yes, we believe in God. How do we become healthy people, you know? How do we allow him to rule and reign every realm of our little hearts and lives? Every part of our realm, okay? Thank you for the tree. Isn't that so amazing? They made that. I thought it was so cool. I drew it in my journal, and it was so confusing looking, and then they did that. It was, like, incredible. The media team is incredible. Okay, so... um, Okay, I'm going to start telling you just a few stories from my life, and maybe you can see how God taught me this and how I was learning to receive the good sources so that my beliefs were strong and my actions were good and my fruit was healthy, okay? Um, okay, I feel like half of you have heard these, but that's fine because the other half maybe hasn't. And so I, when I was in junior high, I really did start asking this question like, why is it that the believers of God just, like, get together and sing songs and then go home and their whole life looks just like unbelievers, basically? And that was just my experience at my church at home, sadly, where it felt like it was like a club, you know? But I didn't see people, like, being really different than someone I knew that didn't go to church and their thoughts or actions or whatever the things you see in their life. And I think I just started questioning, why is this what the people of God do when they gather? Why is this what they act like? Because I was really at that junior high pivotal time of my life and development, I was starting to really believe that the Bible was true. And so I was like, okay, if God created the earth with his words and he puts the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave inside of us, we should be different. You know, and then I remember being at the Renaissance Festival and walking by this man who was like clearly evil, like he scared me by just looking at him. And I I was like, okay, well, why aren't the people of God like clearly powerfully good? Why don't we walk by them and go, whoa, there's something on that person, 
you know? And so I started having these questions, and there wasn't very many people in my life at that time that equipped, helped equip me to know the answers. And so I kind of sort of just had unanswered questions. And I sort of fit in in high school and just, like, sort of tried to be the good girl in the party crowd, you know? So I would, like, go to the party, but I wasn't drinking, you know? But then I would, like, go in the bathroom, and there's, like, a keg in the bathroom, and I would drink, like, three beers really fast. And then at the end of the night, they're like, how is she drunk? Like, she didn't have a beer. She didn't hold a cup all night. And I was, like, very twisted. It was hidden. It was like I wanted people to think one thing of me, but I wanted to have this foot in the world. And I was confused as all get out, you know? And I was, I was suffering. And the people around me were suffering because, like, sometimes they thought that I was good. And then they were like, maybe you're not. And I know it was very confusing. And so then I went away to Baylor, and I, you won't hiss at me, and um, <laughs> I um, went and I sat on these steps outside of my dorm room one night, and basically I saw all these young ladies at Baylor that looked a lot like me. They said they believed in God, but they didn't really seem different for it, and I just started thinking, maybe God isn't real. Like, maybe if I was born in China, I would believe that Buddha is God. And maybe Buddha is God. And the only reason I believe in Christ is because I was born in Houston, Texas. You know? And that, that's just what everyone here believes. And so I said, okay, Lord, you talk about, you, know, he, you put a burning bush on this guy, it helped him believe. I said, set something on fire. I just need to know you're real. I was like, I just, I need to know you're real. I, and so I just said, okay, one, two, three. I did, and my little freshman girl, I remember I was wearing Winnie the Pooh slippers. I was still a little girl, you know? And I, I was like, okay, Lord, show me yourself, I wanna see. And I met the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment in such a powerful way, you guys. But what was so sweet is that it was through his peace. It was his peace. And I was expecting something like rowdy, you know? But it was his peace, his peace. That, and no one can put peace in your heart but God. I mean, have you tried to put peace in your own heart? It is impossible. But God is the prince of peace. And he filled me with peace. And I never have been the same. Well, I've gone back and visited those steps and my kids make them come and take pictures with me there because it felt like such a sacred place. And so then I started experiencing something brand new and I started like loving the Bible and I just was reading it and I'm like, have y'all ever heard this before? Listen to this, come over here, you know? And it was like things I'd read, but they were just coming alive. And then I was starting to learn about the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I realized that there was like very little fruit in my life of those things. Very little fruit, especially with self-control. And so then I started to go, okay, help grow me in these. Help make my fruit stronger. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life grow it stronger. And I became so aware of his presence. I would, I would lay in my room, wait for my roommate to leave on the floor and look up at the ceiling and I would go, you're alive! You're alive! I can't believe it! You're alive! And I would just say it. One time she walked back in the room and she was like, what are you doing? You know? And I was like, he's alive! He's alive! And it was just like this revelation of his powerful love and that he was real and that he loved me and that he wanted a relationship with me and that I could hear his voice. 
and that there was a Holy Spirit. No one had ever really talked to me about the Holy Spirit before. And that the Holy Spirit has gifts for us that he wants to equip us with so we can go and use them to do his work all around the world. And I was like, well, that's what I was asking for in junior high. I just didn't know how to put it into words. You know what I'm saying? And so then I started going, okay, well, I want to learn all about these things and grow in all of them. And I remember at the same time, my sin also started to become really evident to me. And so before, things just were like, I don't know, I just did it, you know? But then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I could tell that grieves the Holy Spirit. And I didn't want anything in my life that grieved the Holy Spirit. And I remember my heart, the Lord showed me this picture of it one time, and it was like, if you've ever seen a picture or can imagine, like a barbed wire fence that has sat next to an old oak tree for too long, and that oak tree is sort of like grown around the barbed wire, you know? And it's like part of the tree now. And I felt like that was my heart. It was like there was like barbed wire all inside of it. And it, my heart was given to God, and it was beating, but it was filled with this yucky, sharp stuff, and I wanted all of it out. And one day I was like, Lord, I just, I can see my sin. I, I hate it. I want it all out. And I felt like I wanted to take the edge of that barbed wire and just rip it out of my heart. And the Lord was like, what would happen to you if that happened, Ashley? I felt like he asked me this, and, my, and just in the, the quiet of my heart, and I was like, I think my heart would be ripped to shreds. And he was like, it would. And he was like, but I'm going to take, be faithful to take two or three little barbs out and then heal that place in your heart and it will grow stronger. And if you'll be faithful to journey with me, I will remove these things from you over time and your heart will be whole and strong. And so I went on this journey of going, okay, well, what's next, Lord? What's the next thing you're going to help pull out of me and help me be more like you? And it was such a sweet, sweet journey. And I remember at the very beginning of that journey, I was at our, our like revive, our college uh, spring break mission trip my sophomore year in college and we had this we were in Juarez Mexico and we had this night where everybody every section on the on the trip had a night that you stayed up all night and prayed <laughs> it was a really intense season yeah and so we um we it was our turn and it was so fun you guys I mean just sweetest memories so just like after 10 minutes most of us were like we don't know what to pray anymore you know and so then we were like okay well I we'll have to learn how to pray you know and so it was so fun and then like at one point of the night the leaders would come in and they would pray and prophesy over all of us and I remember Jimmy Seibert who I think a lot of y'all met when he came to World Mandate I didn't know him I was a sophomore in college this was 20 years ago, and I was like on my knees with my face against the wall. And so I don't even think he knew who I was. And he just walked up to me and he put his hand on my back and he said, it is time to stop living for the trite things in life. Put them away and follow God. And then he just walked away. And I was like, that is a bold word, you know? I was like, and, but I wanted somebody to talk to me like that. I wanted somebody to say, take your own life seriously. Believe that God wants to do great things through you. I actually told him that a couple of months ago that he said that to me. I had never told him. And he was just administered to him so much. And I was like, I wanted somebody to challenge me. And you know what? I, I did. I put away the trite things in my life. And I believed that God wanted to take me seriously. And so that was a, time, a turning point of me going, I'm not going to be that girl drinking beer in the bathroom. You know? I'm going to take myself seriously. And in the private and in the public. And then I started so reading my Bible 
all the time. And I was starting to believe and so I'd wake up early before an 8 a.m. class, like not very many college students do that. And I like would read my Bible and believe that it mattered that I knew it. Do you know what I'm saying? This is a new mindset for me at this age. Um, not just that I listened to somebody on Sunday once a week, but that I knew my Bible. And um, I started fasting and I started looking at those sin and then I started being in discipleship. Okay, so this is a huge part. So the first thing the lady that discipled me did is she said, I'm going to take you through this thing called Seven Steps to Freedom. And it's really about recognizing that you could be a healthy, you could be a saved person that had bad source coming into your heart, making your tree sick. And so she was like, it's really an opening up of your eyes to the fact that there are like there is an enemy and that there are demons and that God, Satan wants to use those demons to destroy our lives, even when we're believers, and that you can recognize them and get rid of them, you know, and, and if, but you have to do that, you know, you have to work on that. And so there were seven steps that you went through, generational, I can't remember what they all are, it's the plug for the discipleship school, you have to go through seven steps in the discipleship school. So was, she was kind of basically taking me through it, and I... Um, I, I remember when I got to the one about like physical or sexual purity, I felt so convicted that I went back and I called every boy that I ever kissed or had unhealthy relationship with, and I called them and I said, hey, I want you to know that the girl that you knew has died and that God has raised up a new creation. And so if you ever see me, I just want you to know that that girl is gone and I am a new creation. And most of them were like, oh, cool. I'm like, thanks for calling, you know, like, but I wanted, I wanted to be free. I didn't care. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. I was like, I want him to have every single part of my heart. I don't want one tiny thing to be following me around. I am free. Okay, as the best as I could, you know, and then he's still setting me free today. But I was like devoted, determined to be free. And so that was a fun season. That's about when my parents thought I lost my mind, you know, they were worried about me. But it was like I was very passionate about the Lord. And then I started learning, like I've said a few times, about the difference between the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those were all confused in my mind. Like if I had a thought, I just thought it belonged to me. And so I was learning, like, oh, that I can like have a thought that doesn't, yes. that doesn't belong to me. And I can renounce that, I don't, I don't believe that. And I can move on down the road. But before it was like, I just felt like it was all combined into one confusing ball inside of me. And then I started learning the difference about the Holy Trinity. I started learning about how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all one, but you can like hear each one of their voices differently and they can minister to you in different ways. So I started, reading on Mondays all about the Father. And I would read passages that talk about his attributes and about his ways and what he's done for us. And I would only read scriptures about the Father. And then on Tuesdays, I'd read only scriptures about Jesus and the servant and that he, you know, he was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that he, is, his, he was, had an appearance that no one would be attracted to him, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man full of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And I was just like going and I want to like, fill my heart with all the things about Jesus that I possibly could. And then I would think about the Holy Spirit, that he's our counselor, that he's our defender, that he will bring to remembrance things that we forget, that he's our helper. And so I would like learn about the three different you know, parts of this Holy Trinity and I would focus and devote myself to them. 
And I was really watching God grow me inside of my heart. And then I started real, something interesting happened to me one day and I was at early morning prayer, which is like a, this is still college days, you know, and I had peace in my heart. It was like a typical thing for me to have peace. And so before that season, it was like I was mostly anxious. And if I had a peaceful moment, I'd be like, huh. But then after that, that day on the steps and that journey began, I started to feel peaceful most of the time. And so then if something kind of like got me in a little tizzy, you know, I would go, huh, what's wrong? Like, and I would be able, so I was, I was at EMP one morning and I was walking back to my dorm and I was like, something's bugging me, you know? I just felt, I kind of felt like I used to all the time, you know? And I was like, ah, oh, there's something bugging me. And I felt like the Lord was like, you lied to that girl. And I didn't even mean to, it was just sort of like an exaggeration, you know, da 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 da. And then I, I was like, you're right, Lord, I repent. And then I called her, I confessed. I'm so sorry I lied to you. I, I don't even think I really meant to, but I think maybe somehow I wanted you to think I was cooler than I am or whatever. And so will you forgive me? And she did. And I like, peace was restored Amen. to my heart, you know, and I started being able to identify the different things that were happening inside of me. Yeah. And it was the journey of allowing my source to truly be from God and learning how to do that. And in that time, I read Isaiah 59. And so this is a passage that I was trying to figure out how to summarize. And so I just want to let it like wash over you. So you can close your eyes or you can read it along with me. You can say it out loud when I read. I don't care. But I feel like this passage summarized the revelation that I got in that season of my life, which was we are destined for hell <laughs> and God, we need God because I think somehow in our little Christian culture, we somehow rank ourselves still. Well, that wasn't as bad as that guy. Did you see what he did? He must need more salvation than me or whatever. It's like, even if we don't want to do it, we kind of do, you know? And it was like in this season of my life, the Lord was like revealing my utter depravity, that I had to have his salvation to live, to breathe. Where else could I go? For he had the words of eternal life. I had to have him. And what ha was happening, what I didn't realize, was that I had been the center of the world for myself, and God was putting himself in the center of my world. And he was what my world was all about. But I truly, it, it, the gospel of that he paid for our shame, he paid for our condemnation, that we don't have to fix it and make it right. He is the source. That was what all these little moments, like repenting for the lie and whatever it was that I was doing, that it was like putting him in the center of my life. And I feel like this passage just sums it all up. Okay, Isaiah 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear. <clears throat> but your iniquities have separated you from God. Everybody say, my iniquities. Not yours, not his, not your dad's. My iniquities have separated me from God. And so this is what was happening in that season. I was like going, mine, like I own it, you know? Your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, your tongue mutters wicked things. 
No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and they utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die. And so this scared me. I remember reading this verse like every day for like a long time because I wanted to be a mom so bad. I was like the dream of my heart. I was getting the MRS degree at Baylor. You know, I wanted to find Mrs. Mrs. Like the MRS degree, if you don't heard that joke. I, I just wanted to find my husband and have babies. That was it. I was just going to Baylor for fun. And <laughs> very expensive, uh, very expensive fun. Um, and so, but I was like, I was like, whoever eats their eggs will die. And I was like, I want the fruit of my life. I want someone to die eating the fruit of my life. That sounds terrifying to me, you know? And so I was just reading this over and over. I was like, I don't want this. I don't want this. So the whole first part of this is like, yikes, you know? And it says, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Okay, so yucky things. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. Oh my gosh, so, so sad. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes, acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked, crooked roads, and no one who walks along them will know peace. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but it's all darkness for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along a wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We mourn moanfully, moanfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets, and honesty cannot hear, enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. And the Lord looked and was displeased, and there was no justice. And he saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance. And he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And according to what they have done, so, he will so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands for their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. He will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me... This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord.
Amen. And so that is what I believe he wants us to rest in, to be able to like live in this place of like, not, maybe I can be good enough. You know, maybe I can try hard enough. But to be able to get through that whole chapter and see we are truly evil without the blood of Jesus. And that he comes and he washes us and he redeems us. And he is the one that makes us new. There is not one good one among us. Not one of us is righteous. Our righteous acts before the Lord are like filthy rags. They're lifeless. There's nothing that we can bring to him without the powerful blood of Jesus. And so then, and then this, like, this promise at the end where he's like, all of that is true, but then I come and I am putting my spirit upon you. I will not depart from you. This powerful promise, but it's all around the reality that Jesus is the one that worked out the salvation. He's the one that came and he put on his own armor and he became righteousness on our behalf. And so he becomes the center of our lives. And so I wanted him to become like a pent up flood. And I was reading that all the time. I was reading it to my life group. Everyone listen, like you are righteous, unrighteous, and your, your, your acts are like adder's eggs, you know? And they were like, this girl is so weird, you know? But I was like, everyone needs to know this. We need to know because I see a lot of people thinking they've got it going on and we don't, you know? And I feel like it doesn't matter if we go to church or know the right words on the day of judgment, you either have given him full access or not, you know? And I don't know when that day is coming for us, you guys. And so have we truly believed that he is the answer and given him access to our whole life? Have we done that, you know? And so, and then another thing that came in my, so during that, I was like, okay, I'm not going to say, I took a, I said a little white lie. I'm going to say I partnered with the spirit of deceit, Okay. And so I was starting to call even the littlest sins in my life the worst thing. Like I was trying to find that root. When I, when I had an action, I was going, what is the root? The root of that little white light is actually the spirit of deceit, okay? I like walked around and I was like kind of flirting with a boy. And I'm like, okay, that was a little, okay, what is the root of that? Well, it's actually lust, okay? I don't want lust in my life. But this little action or that flash of a thought Instead of going, uh, like, like, oh, Lord, I, I'm sorry I had that thought, and then moving on down the road, you can start to use, utilize those thoughts and go, okay, what is this identifying that I might be listening to, that might be bothering me, okay? I don't, so spirit of lust, I sent you to the foot of the cross. I invite the Holy Spirit into this place. My body is a holy temple. My eyes will be a holy thing, and then I will see you. Does that make sense? And so I started calling the sins that I saw, the thoughts that I had, I started identifying the, the roots of them in my life. And then somebody showed me, I think they were kind of taking me through the discipleship school because we also have to do this in the discipleship school, but that brokenness, unbrokenness sheet, who's familiar with that? Raise your hand. So small percentage. It's okay because I have it here on the side. And so someone sat me down and read this to me. I think it was the lady that was discipling me. And I felt like I could only circle the ones on the left. And I was like, I am an unbroken person and God needed to come and break me. And so I'm gonna give you like examples, okay? So a proud and unbroken person, it's like you can be anointed by God, but if you're unbroken, you're actually really dangerous, you know, and you hurt the church. And 
so a humble, broken person is actually, they, they, they have so much more strength, even though they're humble and unbroken. I think you would like get that concept, but it was new for me at that, that age in college. And so an example of a proud or unbroken person, the proud person would focus on the failures of others. A humble, broken person would be overwhelmed by their own spiritual need. Proud are self-righteous, have a critical fault-finding spirit. Why did you do that? Oh, I wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened to me if he hadn't have said that. It's a great example. A humble person are compassionate. They have a forgiving spirit. You see the opposite? You see how this can be good fruit, the two sides of the tree? A proud would have to prove that they are right. A humble person being willing to yield the right to be right. Someone comes and says, you hurt me. And you go, no, I didn't. But yielding that right to be right and saying something along the lines of, I'm really sorry I unintentionally hurt you. And like being okay, not being understood. That's really hard. A prouder, unbroken person claims rights. Well, it's my right. I'm supposed to be given this. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then a humble uh, person yields their rights. And I think that if you have a trouble with this one, if you've ever had an infant, it's sort of just like, does it for you, you know? You're like, I have no more rights. They're gone. I have no right to sleep, no right to eat, no right to do anything alone ever again. And so, um, <laughs> okay, and then an unbroken person has a demanding spirit, and then the other would have a giving spirit. Okay, there's a few more on the next slide. Pr a proud, unbroken, a desire to be served. You know, you see this at the restaurant, um, uh, the humble, unbroken person are motivated to serve others. How can I be a blessing? How could I go and, and take up that need and fill it? Proud, feel confident at how much they know. I'm so smart and important. And the humble are humbled about how much they have to learn. Um, proud are quick to blame others. Um, humble accept personal responsibility and can see that they were wrong. Proud are defensive when criticized. Humble receive criticism with a humble open heart. Proud work to maintain an image and protect their reputation. Humble die to their own reputation. Proud deal in generalities when confessing sin. Humble deal in specifics, okay? And so that's what I was talking about. I started reading this and going, okay, no, I'm not gonna say, oh, I kinda had some weird thoughts the other day. I'm gonna be like, this is the exact thing. And so me and Katie Pleasant, wherever she is, when we first started planning the church for a while, I can't remember, she probably remembers how long we would, write down every bad thought we had and at our discipleship meetings at like Slotsky's, we would read them to each other. Every bad thought that came inside of our heads, it was really, really uh, revealing what we were <laughs> And so, and Katie had a lot of bad thoughts and you know what, so did I. And, uh, but God was with us, you know what I'm saying? We didn't, it wasn't like that we were trying to prove we don't have bad thoughts. Everybody has bad thoughts. But we wanted to learn, okay, well, what are the source of those bad thoughts? Why are we having those bad thoughts? And we wanted to grow and get them out, okay? Okay, and so I want to move on to the, the final part. So the calling sin the worst possible thing, brokenness, unbrokenness sheet. And then I started, like, recognizing one of the first big trunk tree beliefs was this place of, like, I, that reputation or wanting people to like me. And I was so insecure, really. And I was like comparing myself all the time with people. It doesn't matter if it was like before I really got to know the Lord. It was more like 
physical things like, oh, I wish I had her legs or her hair or that car or that boyfriend or whatever it was in that season. And then it kind of turned into, well, why did she get called on to pray instead of me? Or, well, her prayer sounded a lot, why, whatever it was, you know what I'm saying? You can fill in the blank or maybe I was the only one that's ever struggled with those kinds of things. And so I would feel so like yucky all the time. And I was, and so final, one time I shared this recently, I think in one of the, either at Fall Retreat or ADS, but I had this lady walk up to me and she said, um, she said, uh, you're a mother. And I was not a mother, I was young. And she was like, you're a mother, you're a mother, you're a mother. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me to become a mother. And, and the difference between an older sister that always wants the better pillow, you know, and that a mother that is willing to give away anything and a mother that sees others and wants to celebrate them and rejoice over them. So he started taking that away from me. And he started teaching me about boundary lines and my friendships and how they, I can be okay if someone that I love isn't okay. He started to teach me all sorts of things about the way that his love put identity upon me. And it was 23 years of daily walking so that the roots of my heart were strong and deep. And then the last thing that I wanted to say before we close is I wanted to show you this little uh, graphic of our a process. And so this is something that I've gone through every morning that I spend time with God almost, and it's what we do in our family devotional time with the kids. And so it's recognizing, forgiving, repenting, renouncing, receiving, and rejoicing. And so, for example, like one of my kids might have felt embarrassed at, a, at an event or something like that. So recognizing that as a potential for Satan to want to come and like put an unhealthy thing on my kid. And so forgiving anybody that they needed to forgive about that event, repenting, oh Lord, I'm sorry that I did that or I thought that or I spoke that. Renouncing, I, I don't partner with whatever shame or condemnation. I wanna receive whatever you have in exchange, Holy Spirit, and then I want to rejoice over what you have given me. And so that has been a very helpful tool in what we have gone over um, over and over in our lives. And I think what will happen when you start to go through this journey is that the Lord will teach you how to identify the places that the, 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 the branches or the thoughts or the behaviors be able to identify the source. And you'll get to a place where I believe the Lord will help you like not to just manage your temptation or your sin, but truly have victory over it. And there've been a few different times in my life where temptation has come my way. And I really felt like it was important that I share this today because a lot of the times I think we feel like it's normal to just be tempted all of the time and have to just deal with it. And I remember when Tyler and I were engaged, he was struggling with pornography and masturbation. And I didn't know it when we were first dating and he finally confessed it to me when we were right before we were engaged. And he was like, I'm gonna tell you every time it happens. But he would always be so brokenhearted and I would feel filthy and it was horrible and we would fight and it scared me. And it was this weird thing I had never heard of before. I had never struggled with it. And I 
one day he came again and was like, oh, it happened, I'm so sorry, I don't know what to do. Every guy struggles with this, you know, it's just a thing, I don't know. I, every discipleship group he's ever been a part of was just like, how can we put more apps on your computer? What, they didn't have phones really at that time, but it was just like, how can we just create hope so that you don't have to, so, to, the most possible, so that it might not happen and maybe you can get through a year. Maybe you could get through two years. But I looked at him at that time and I was like, do you believe that Jesus raised from the dead or not? Like, do you believe it? Because if you do, then, then he can set you free from this. You do not have to deal with this sin for the rest of your life. You don't have to deal with it for one more day. It, you have the power in Jesus Christ to stand up and say, no, I won't ever do it again. And you have the choice. Deuteronomy, it says it. All of heaven calls wit to witness against you that he has set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So therefore, choose life. So you and your descendants will live. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't believe, if you believe that you're going to manage this sin for the rest of your life, that you are saved. I was like, if I'm going to marry you, if I'm going to marry you, you need to work this out. Because, if, because it is, it is it's offensive to believe that God isn't powerful enough to set you free. He is, he can. And he will pull you into his loving arms when you make mistakes and you will. But he has the power to deliver you from all evil. And he will. And when he does, he pulls you in and he says, and when you sin, and he says, now go and sin no more. My child, who I love, who I will equip, who I will give the Holy Spirit to, I will teach you how to let the source of God be your true source. But if you're walking around watching trash and saying trash and feeding yourself trash and doing these things over and over and then expect to have good fruit, it's just not ever gonna work out for you. You have to be devoted, relentlessly devoted to letting your heart be undivided and unmixed with God. And so for me, I remember there's two different specific times. One where I had this flashing temptation of going underwater and never returning up because I was overwhelmed. It was right after Ethan was born. It was 13 years ago and I was so sad. And I had that flashing temptation. That was a tempting thought, okay? And I, it was an alarm. I sounded the alarm and I called help from Waco and I said, I need help. There's something wrong with me. And we started thinking about what are the sources? What are the habits? How can we change the environment around? Because that tempting thought, it was like an alarm. But if you have tempting thoughts like that all the time and they feel normal to you, there is a deliverance that God wants to have for you. Does that make sense? Like it should feel like if you are feeling or thinking something along those lines, it should not be normal. If it's normal, then God wants to reach you out of the miry clay and he wants to set your feet upon the rock and he wants to say, I am your salvation, okay? And then another time, uh, Tyler and I were having a hard time. We were building the house. He was having a hard time listening to me and I was having a hard time <laughs> doing all sorts of things that I was, we were irritating each other and it was like going on for a while. And one of the subcontractors, just random dude, was like at the house and I was telling him what I wanted for the brick. And he was standing there, he was just listening to me. Oh, that's a good idea. I was, you have good ideas, I love that brick idea. And I got to thinking, you're listening to me better than my husband. Hmm. And there was a tempting thought toward this random subcontractor, okay? Tyler is on the road to get on an airplane to go to Indiana. And I called him and I said, cancel your plane. You're coming home. 
everybody got mad at me for it because he was supposed to be at this important meeting. I was like, I don't care. I don't care where you're going to be. I need you home because this, I had this tempting thought. And I need you to be close, and we got to figure out what's wrong because my heart needs a comfort from you that is not getting. And we worked hard on our marriage, but that tempting thought wasn't something I just walked around with. Oh, had a tempting thought, subcontractor. It was like, burn, 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 stop the airplane. Does that make sense? And so, but if we walk around managing these things, guys, that is what sin conceived. It gives birth to death. Like it, the desire conceived, you know the verse. And so it was just like, I, I was like not willing to let these things rest in me. I will not. And so then I will go and I will work whatever we need to work out to get there, but not be ashamed that I'm a human, you know, but that these tempting things are signals for us of the places that we need help. But if they feel normal, God wants to set you free. And he can't, okay? And I know the band's been here for like 20 minutes. And so I'm gonna stop. Okay, and then, okay, that's it. So everybody stand. Okay. Um, okay, I love y'all. Um, so when I was working on this thing, the, the Evelyn, sweet Evelyn, she, we were in the middle of Family Devo and I was working on this talk and she goes, Mommy, I wanna read you this verse. And she said, it's Proverbs 27, one. And she did not know what I was talking about. And she goes, he, the, he who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit. And whoever protects their master will be honored. And I thought, oh my gosh, Evelyn, he who guards their fig tree will eat its fruit. And I felt like the Lord wanted Evelyn to speak that to you guys and to say that if you guard your tree, you'll eat good fruit, you know, and we're going to honor our master and that he wants to separate our sins so far from us. Um, one time she sinned and she hated it. She was brokenhearted about it and she could not stop crying and she did something wrong. And I looked at her and I kind of did what I did to Tyler. I said, never do that again. Like you can never do that again, you know? And she was like, mommy, I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm sad. And so I told her to write down every little thing that she did. And we went outside and I took a, I took a match on that paper and I burned it. And I said, no, go find it, go find that paper. And she was like, I can't, I can't find it, it's gone. You know, and I feel like that's what the Lord's wanting to do today. He's wanting you to write these things down. He's wanting to set them on fire and say, go find them, I dare you. That's how far I've separated your sin from you. It is not yours anymore. And he's set you free. And so Jesus, I pray right now for every heart that needs deliverance, Lord. We're not, it's not a special club. We all need it. That you would show us, Lord, where do you want to deliver us today? Again, set us free, Lord. Where do you want to break generational strongholds of, of addiction or these strongholds in our lives that, that, that make us trapped? Lord, I pray that you would put a belief in our heart that you can do it and that you would let us believe not just for our own lives, but for our children and for our future children and for our families. In Jesus' name, amen.